0: Head to the slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit the slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: You're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in Season 10.
0: Our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links.
1: In our Foreign Language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, And letters from Iwo Jima.
0: We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from
1: Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, Definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Remember,
0: bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch?
1: Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian. Scarface Year of the Dragon 8 Million Ways to Die Talk Radio and Born on the 4th of July
0: Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book
1: You like Huey Lewis and the News? Oh my
0: god it even has a watermark
1: And of course more Stephen King with The Mist The Green Mile and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series
0: Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page That's NextReel.com slash originals Every purchase
1: supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson.
0: And we are two passionate movie lovers who love talking about movies passionately.
1: (laughs) Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins.
0: Memento is over. We all lie to ourselves to be happy. Where am I? Some anonymous motel room.
1: I guess I've already told you about my condition. Oh, well, only every time I see you.
0: It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. I have no short-term memory. I know who I am. I know all about myself. I just, since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything
1: fades. I've told you this before, haven't I?
0: What's the last thing that you do remember? My wife. Dying. My
1: wife deserves vengeance. Doesn't make any difference whether I know about it. Just because there are things I don't remember doesn't make my actions meaningless. So, Pete, have you heard about these membership plans we have over at The Next Reel? Membership plans? Tell me more. For just $1 a month, practically nothing, you can become a one-reeler member and get access to member channels over on Discord.
0: But I'm already a member on Discord.
1: Yeah, but you only get access to some of the channels. Okay, so what's on these member channels? Oh, you know that Saturday matinee show?
0: The one that I get every Monday, where the hosts talk about news and new trailers and play movie-related games and challenge each other with their list
1: of films related somehow to the films reviewed that week? That's the one. Members get access to the Show Talk channel, where they can vote on the lists each week. You mean there's a vote? I love voting. Mom always said, vote early, vote off. Now, if you bump your membership up to the two-reeler tier, which costs a measly $5 a month, it's practically the same you'd pay for one of those fancy coffee drinks, you get so much more. What more could there be? Well, two-reelers not only get everything the one-reelers get... That's a given. But they also get access to live streams to watch shows when they actually record or any time thereafter.
0: You mean I have to stop doing this in my bathrobe?
1: Two-Wheelers also get to be a part of a pre-show chat with hosts before every Filmboard episode. I like it, I like it. Two-Wheelers get every show before regular listeners and without ads. You mean I don't have to sit through this? Count me in. But the best benefit of all, members get bonus member-only episodes.
0: I love that.
1: It's an exciting time to be alive. What can I say? So how do I sign up? It's easy. Just head to the slash membership. thenextreel.com slash membership. thenextreel.com slash membership. Access to member channels and Discord, early access to shows, access to live streams, and member bonus episodes. Sign up today.
0: Hi, Andy. Yo. How do you feel
1: about Memento? It's kicking off a new series, a very brief series, a pair, a duo. It is a pair of films, in our in kind of a twist ending series, uh, this was, I think, listener Ben Lott's idea, who had an idea for a series called Spoiled. Rotten? <laughs> All about twist endings. If you know it, and or the ending has been spoiled for you, does the film just not stand up on its own? Is it, or is it is the twist the thing, or does it actually still contain a good movie there? So that's what we're here to talk about. We each picked one. You picked Memento. Next, we'll, next week, we'll be talking about my choice, Identity. Um yeah but I think Christopher Nolan's Memento is a great way to kick this very brief uh series that's ending our season off. Yeah, I think so too. I I I really do and I I
0: feel like this is a great way to start. I I may have cheated because I I think on reviewing Memento really we didn't we don't spoil the ending with Memento. You spoil the middle. <laughs> Anyway, it's all about the mechanic. I I do think it begs the question, Andy, how do you feel about uh, endings that are twisty, twisty, twisty
1: endings? Twisty, twisty. I like twist endings. I think that they make for great films often. And uh, or just, you know, I like when a story throws in a surprise like that. And I, I feel like there are times they work better than others. And in general, it's just because largely the film is better, uh, you know, than some other films where they throw a twist in there and it just feels like, well, I feel like they were just trying to come up with something to to shake things up a little bit. And it didn't necessarily need to go there uh, in, in this particular case. I think that this one uh, definitely holds up, but I, I enjoy twist endings as long as the film isn't just built for a twist. Well, I think that's, I think that's
0: true. And I I think that is, um you know, thinking about twist endings that are particularly effective, but don't merit many rewatches. For me, I think that the one at the very top of the list is The Sixth Sense. Like, I, I, I haven't gone back and watched it. I've seen it twice. And that, it turns oh, out, was enough. Is that, really? is that funny? Yeah. That's not funny.
1: That's depressing, because that movie is
0: so good. Yeah, it's good, but, like, once I've gotten the payoff, that's one that I I feel like I was done. I was done. I I was finished. Huh.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
0: Not that the movie was bad, but that the movie was, in fact, spoiled. And I think, to your term, in my head, that movie exists for the ending. And... Once you once you kind of unlock that level, um, it's for me, it doesn't have a lot left to offer.
1: And see, I think that that's a case in point for a perfect example of one where everything is working brilliantly. And I think it holds up on multiple rewatches, even when you know everything that's happening. And so that's one where I I really am happy with how that one unfolds. So, well, maybe it's because you
0: actually do see dead people. And so it's more of a documentary. <laughs> Very true. Hasn't touched
1: it. So, give me Very an example true. of one that you you feel like does not work. I guess no matter what, we're kind of spoiling things for for other people at this particular point. Um, not just these ones we're talking about, but I'd say okay, if you're looking at a, a movie that feels like the twist ending was designed, you know, everything kind of is forced into this twist ending. There are a few that come to mind. One we've talked about the Planet of the Apes movies, and I have to say the twist ending that the Tim Burton's version decided to throw in there just really made no sense. That one felt to me like the ultimate twist ending. We're like, we got to do a twist, but it's got to be different than the original twist really irritated me. Yeah. Did not like that one at all. Also, there's a a horror film that I actually thought was really good. And then the twist ending happens. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, wait a minute. So much of the movie doesn't make sense now. And it's, it's a French uh, horror film called high tension. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it, but it just doesn't make sense once you know what the twist is, and it was very frustrating for me uh, when when that one happened. Last but not least, I would say um, the life of David Gale, which isn't a horrible movie. It's actually kind of interesting, uh, just story about the death penalty and everything. But when you realize like what's going on at the end, I'm like, huh? Eh. It's it was like yeah. they they did this big twist in that one. I'm like, well, I don't know how much that one ends up you know making me like that movie at all one of the ones that that came up because it was uh, one
0: that christopher nolan had had suggested uh and, and in his words and i like the way he puts this it's one that treats you well right it's not a snap ending that doesn't reward you for going back and watching it again and i had totally forgotten that this movie even existed and in fact if you had asked me to give you a movie in which Lisa Bonet, Mickey Rourke, and Robert De Niro were in together, I would not have been able to tell you this movie. It completely vanished from memory. It's Angel Heart from uh what's 1987 and i I, so i went back and kind of refreshed myself with some clips and i realized that that really does that isn't this is a movie uh, that gives you an example of something spooky neo-noir lots of craziness in it and yet at the end once you know what's going on you go back and and can watch the movie and it has changed the way you see the film and and i think that's the reward of these movies when they're when they're spoiled and not rotten the reward is it's it kind of feels like a new movie when you watch it again but it's equally entertaining as the first time you watch it. And maybe that there's a there's a secondary joy in
1: introducing it to other people. Sure. Yeah, I recently rewatched uh, Angel Heart and uh it, it I found that it it definitely holds up. That's a that's a fun creepy one. Yeah, it it makes me want to watch the whole thing again. I've watched now,
0: you know, 5 minute segments from throughout the movie. And yeah. uh yeah. Fantastic. So that's why I ended up picking Memento because not so much that there is a, a snap ending at, at, you know, to the movie that once you, once you see this one snap ending, uh, it changes the way you see the movie, but the whole thing, the entire mechanic is the Christopher Nolan mechanic, the Christopher and Jonathan Nolan mechanic where, um, it, it's, it, say what you will about the ending. It's really, do you understand what he's doing with time? In the film, and once you understand that and see how the narratives intersect one another, do you still get joy out of watching the movie? And for me, um, in terms of you know spoiling the ending, I very much do. I think this movie is one that that I get. I still don't completely understand, uh, and I've seen it a number of times, and yet I get the same amount of joy watching it uh, every time. I, I see it. I think Guy Pierce is uh, exemplary in this role. And uh, this was the first time I'd seen him. It was, I think, the first Christopher Nolan movie I'd seen. It was seen, not the first time you'd
1: seen him. It wasn't? Shame on you. LA oh. Confidential, hello. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. No, you're right. Oh, my you're right. gosh. You're right.
0: <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. I'm going to regret that. Yes. No, it was the second time I'd seen him. <laughs> Take two. You You hadn't seen Priscilla before? <laughs> Uh, not probably before this movie. Okay, maybe I saw it after. No, maybe I saw Priscilla in the theater, so that would have been before. I don't that remember Guy Pierce as somebody that I was looking <laughs> it's for. Would, because you, he's stop, blonde. It's would because you stop? Would you stop messing blonde. with me right now? I watched the movie and I did not note it as a Guy Pierce uh, vehicle until I saw this movie. I was like, oh, okay. Guy, here's somebody I should remember. All right, and so I uh, memory is a funny and difficult thing, isn't it? Ironic. (laughs) Very Um, ironic. So I I, yes, I, I get a lot of joy out of watching this this movie. Uh how did it hit
1: you this this time around? I'm always impressed when I watch this movie. I mean it's it's not that complicated of a story. It really isn't. Like when you lay it out as in linear fashion and you just look at it from beginning to end, the beginning starts in the black and white story and goes to the end of the actual film. And then we circle around and start moving backwards with all the color sequences as as Leonard at this point is now dealing with the aftermath of of everything that's happened with Jimmy and then Dodd and then eventually Teddy. And so we kind of follow through it. But really what it is, is is the twist that we get is the mental decisions that we have happening at the end as we as we see this kind of decision point with our main character with Leonard at the end of the film that really kind of makes you rethink everything that's happened that you've seen chronologically after that point mm-hmm. and it's kind of shocking and that's what i find so strong about the film it's just such a it's such an interesting watch and it's a it's an easy watch and it's so creative and i just i love the moving back and forth in time And the way that, that Nolan plays that game, um, with the story, because it's, you know, as I said, chronologically speaking, it's not that complicated of a story, but the way that he decided to tell it ends up framing it in such a unique way that you get this, uh, this much different look at a person and the way that they, that memories can be, I suppose you could say, kind of used and abused to kind of, go in different directions in your life I guess that's one way we could kind of word it
0: well yeah i think that's absolutely true and i think there is the the way we see characters actively manipulating time uh by way of memory right they're they're actively manipulating the future by manipulating what uh you know what lenny is able to remember and what he is able to document and i, I think that's that's really nice to me. It has a, a lovely connection to just sort of how, how we document things through media, through, we remember history is written by the victors, right? And in this case, we're seeing that writ small, um, in, uh it in terms of of lenny 's experience of the world, and I think that 's really cool if it 's not on a Polaroid and depending what caption is on the Polaroid, that will determine if he continues in this infinite loop of vengeance uh or if he 's ever able to to break free of it. I think that is a a really cool conceit in this movie. I think it's really cool. And I do, I think you're, I I think you, you are are a bit dismissive of the complexities of watching the narratives uh, interact the way they do. And that it, it is not that complex of a movie, but how many people watch this movie and sat down and really thought about time moving forward versus, you know, the segments of the story moving forward and moving backward. I think that is the unnatural piece. When you see this movie for the first time, that's the part that Challenges you as a a film goer, and I think will largely determine if you like the movie if you're willing to give it a second chance.
1: Yeah, some people really are frustrated by it. You know, I've talked to some people who just don't like the fact that it's moving forward and backward, and and they get confused about well, what happened first, and why? You know, why did they tell it this way? And and Mm -hmm. I I feel like the construction of the script is as as important to the the telling of the story as what's happening in the story and the way that the characters move through it. I think that's critical. And because, yeah, I mean, you obviously... I mean, I know we talked about it last week, and, you know, just saying it again here, there is a bonus feature on the DVD where you can actually watch the film chronologically. But there's a reason Christopher Nolan didn't make the film that way. You know, it it's not... Uh, that's not what makes the compelling story. It's the construction that they went into to craft the story this way. That makes. That it gets
0: to well. one of my, one of my big questions for you. But have you watched it chronologically?
1: I assume I you have, I have, but not, uh, not since I bought the, the DVD back in the, in the early aughts. So it's been a very long time.
0: So this is, this is my question. Is it, I mean, there is, as you say, there's a reason he made it the way he did. And that is a significant part of the story is the fact that it's cut the way it is. Is there enough story to maintain your interest if you don't have that? Because one of the the critiques I've read of the film is that the, you know, a particularly skeptical reviewer says that this is a gimmick. It's a gimmick to hide the fact that the story itself is weak. What is your take on that?
1: I think that the critic isn't far off. The story isn't a, that strong of a story. I mean, basically, we have a guy with very little memory who's who. Apparently, it seems to succeed in killing the person that had killed his wife. If that actually had happened, we're not sure. But anyway, he and he's now involved with these people and basically like killing people that they need off. basically. I mean, he takes care, he kills Jimmy, he deals with Dodd, he ends up killing Teddy. Uh, And so there isn't much story. The critic is absolutely correct. But again, that's why the story is constructed the way it is, because the story, it, it's this, the film is not just about the story. It is about the character who is moving through this particular story and making some very critical decisions. And it becomes a, a, a film about the manipulation of memories and personal truths to basically make decisions that, that may, you know make you happier with where you are but aren't necessarily great as we find out at the end of this particular film we have leonard who who basically decides you know what i'm not that fan of this i'm not a big fan of this teddy guy anymore i'm going to start leaving clues for myself so that maybe i end up killing him is kind of where we go right he he manipulates himself he puts uh, the tattoo on his leg of Teddy's license plate number. He writes on the photo, you know, don't trust his lies. And all of these things lead to him at the end of the actual chronological story, killing Teddy, thinking that Teddy was involved in uh, possibly the murder of his wife. And so that's a mental manipulation. And that's why we watch this story, not for the simple story that it is, but for this fascinating psychological study of a person making these decisions. And 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 that's why the film is also constructed the way it is. So it's not a gimmick. I think that it becomes a very critical part to this psychological exploration. Right. It's a game of Clue,
0: right? It's Lenny in the warehouse with the gun. But I play Clue. I still enjoy it. It's a simple game. I I still enjoy this movie. The movie is what we got on the screen. It is, I think, inseparable from the time, you know, quote, gimmick. It is inseparable from that mechanic. That is what makes it fun. That's what makes it interesting. And I think any complicated any more complicated uh, a narrative underneath that gimmick would make it nay impossible and impenetrable. As it is, I think it's it's fun to unravel. Uh and and I think it uh, I think it works. It doesn't hurt that we have, I think, a great central cast in Guy Pierce, Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Pentliano. They're terrific together as a as a complicated
1: uh, triangle. They're all great. This is Carrie-Anne Moss and Joe Pagliato coming onto this right after The Matrix. What a great kind of shift in psychological, kind of just another exploration of a really interesting world for the two Mm -hmm. of them to hop into immediately. Because I I think that they're both delivering just great performances here. I love the way both of them play their characters. And working off of Guy Pierce as this person who has you know, this anterior grade amnesia and is forgetting everything, I, I find it so interesting. And I, I just, yeah, I think absolutely all three of them are incredibly compelling. I, I love the way they work together.
0: According to Nolan, uh, Guy Pierce himself has uh, extremely high anxiety around his memory. He's constantly afraid that he's forgetting things and will always be checking with, you know, with the people around him. Did Now, did I remember this right? Did I get this right? Did I get this right? Which is ironic because he has, a terrific memory according to nolan that he said he actually became a touchstone for us to make sure that we were shooting the right thing in the right order and would catch them uh when you know things were out of place slightly as they were as they were shooting particularly in in some of the uh some of the more important uh narrative beats that that he would catch them and uh it, it becomes incredibly useful uh i think he Nails this. He nails every single part of it. He nails the the accent, totally believable the entire way. Uh, the the physicality of the performance, I think, really fits. He's, I, I can't. i He's kind of sinewy, right? He just sort of fits that he's wearing a suit, but he kind of looks like like he's in recovery somehow. Uh, <laughs> I think
1: he, it's great. He, he does very much so that's very true i love that about him and when we start getting the reveals of the tattoos and eventually like he takes off his shirt and is revealed that yes he's incredibly sinewy and almost skeletal but also covered in just all these crazy tattoos that is such an interesting moment in the film and i i think that it works really well and i i I like the way it plays on just a, kind of that body style it just mm-hmm. it it feels very I don't know there's something about it it just I don't know it just it's catching and and it's just I don't know there's it's shocking the way that all of that comes across
0: I I want to talk about the unreliable narrators for for Guy Pierce for Leonard because you know this movie is also, in addition to the mechanic of of time, it kind of hinges on the fact that our narrator is unreliable, and it that's not something like normally when you have an unreliable narrator um, talking about like the woman in the window and um, uh, what are some other recent uh, unreliable narrator films that that have, have come out? We've we've talked about this one, you or those movies you sort of come to terms with the fact that your narrator is unreliable over time, over the course of the movie. That becomes a reveal of some sort. Oh my God, it's a twist. I can't trust what I've been seeing through the eyes of my protagonist. In this movie, we get that our narrator is unreliable from the jump, right? We know we can't
1: necessarily trust what he sees or remembers from the outset of the film. Does that change the way you watch it? There's a difference, I think, with an unreliable narrator like Leonard, because He has this memory loss and so just doesn't have any short-term memories. And so I think that that's interesting that he certainly is unreliable. We can't trust. I mean, he's relying on his own notes on these photos and everything. Uh, But I I find that he plays as more trustworthy because you don't feel like he's up and up straight like lying to you or or there's Mm -hmm. things going on in his head. American Psycho is one we talked about recently. That's right, an interesting right, right. one where it seems like there's definitely as we get to the end, there's some psychological thing going on in in his head, Um, you know, and or, and so that's certainly one. Gone Girl is much more about manipulation here. It's like it's a it's a medical thing that is leading to him kind of, you know, not remembering these things. And what I think is interesting is he's unreliable. In a medical sense, but seems to be reliable, but it's not until, and this is why I think the film is strong. And this is why the twist at the end of the film works because it's revealed that he really isn't. I mean, aside from being unreliable medically, he's also actually unreliable and the way that he is actually manipulating evidence that he's planting. I mean, he's talking about, you know, facts versus memories and things like that. But we start realizing he's actually been manipulating facts which we didn't realize. And mm-hmm. now we're going, oh, all the stuff that he thinks about Teddy isn't necessarily true. And Teddy has that moment where he says, you know, we got that guy a long time ago, but you weren't satisfied because you didn't remember it and you wanted to keep going. And and so we just keep doing these other things. And that's a really interesting story. And then the whole idea of like, did that ever actually happen? Was there ever a wife for Sammy or was, 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 Leonard the one who gave the injections to his wife and accidentally killed her like there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on as we learn over the course of the film that makes Leonard more and more unreliable and uh, I, I like the way they play the idea of the unreliable narrator and twist it from semi-trustworthy because it's just medical to a yeah. point where we're just like we don't we can't trust anything from this guy
0: well the first time i sat down and watched this with my wife it was you, you know she asked the question as he's writing on the the polaroid so why is he doing that And we talked through it while he's doing that so he'll remember it tomorrow when he can't make these new memories and, and her comment which i think is quite astute was what's he going to get out of that that's the worst yeah. clue ever why is he writing in code yeah. Of course, of course, that's going to be, that is, that's Chekhov's Polaroid, right? Of course, that's going to fail at some point. We just need to know when it's going to fail. So I, I think that is another, like, it, it could be a critique of the, the substance of the, the, our, our protagonist's unreliability, which is, He's he's doing he's writing terrible notes. If you really have this <laughs> issue, you might have a little bit maybe more complete sentences more than just license tags, uh, license plate numbers like probably the tattoos aren't the best way to cement, you know. <laughs>
1: Your future. Uh, he so, needs to be. He needs to be John Doe from Seven, writing copious journals yes. that fill rooms that he yes. can constantly be referencing.
0: That's the character mashup we've needed all along, Lenny <laughs> and John Doe. But I do think this is important. You you mentioned again the the you know the idea that um, you know did it all really happen or was it really just um, uh, Leonard and and his wife and and that there was no Sammy Jenkins. What do
1: you think? I don't know. And I don't know. I feel like this is something that Nolan likes to do with his stories is not necessarily make it where there's an obvious answer. I mean, same thing at the end of Inception. Does the top fall or not? Does it matter? And I think to a certain extent we get that here. You know, does was Leonard ever, uh, you know, attacked at his house and was his wife killed? Or did that happen? She survived. She has, you know, dealt with insulin injections. I mean, I, I guess that was kind of what was what they were saying it was like maybe she survived, and then he was giving her, but he'd always been giving her injections, right?
0: Yeah, that's yeah, th- that's that's kind of my understanding that he
1: was that was the problem. Yeah, and then the question is, you know, did he actually give her too many injections? And basically, Sammy Jenkins' wife was essentially his wife and was tired of this life and and was trying to get him to break and asked him to keep injecting her until she went into a coma and died. That's pretty shocking. That That's shocking, but I didn't think it was like she was
0: exhausted. I think she was just really trying to test whether or not this was legit.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, when he's talking about it in on the phone, he's saying, you know, he says something to that uh, extent. Like, I don't know if she just was tired of of you know continuing to try or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I I like the idea that it could be that way. You know, it he could have killed his wife uh, through too many insulin injections. It could be that uh, she was attacked and died. I don't know if it matters. And I what I think is interesting is that no matter what it's going to all be kind of built into this kind of faulty memory brain bank now. And, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever really know. That's the part, I guess, I ha- I can't connect now that we're talking about it, is
0: in order for him to end up in this loop, right, where he's going after the vengeance, at some point, he, the his wife had to have been attacked somehow, right? Doesn't he need that inciting incident in order to get there? And if he killed his wife with injections...
1: I think, no, I, well, and that's what I was thinking that they were saying is that she always, there always was an attack. That's where his memory loss started. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but my after that, she is survived. Like, either she survived or she died. And in his memory, she died. But then we have that moment where she's under the shower yeah. curtain and she's blinking because yes. she's actually alive. And then post-attack. And he's now got the anterior grade memory he loss. Is he is Sammy Jenkins. He is Sammy Jenkins, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. That's yeah. Yep. I and, and the real Sammy Jenkins was just a guy who he was helping, but didn't have a wife or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. I I think that's absolutely it. He was just a con. I I think that's exactly it. And and that's how I remember. And so I I feel a little bit more sure that there was no Sammy Jenkins and his wife. That in fact it was actually Georgia Fox. Um, the whole time and that she was she was the one who was questioning is this real and I'm gonna test it by seeing if he'll he'll do the thing that is most sacred to him, their relationship, if he will violate that intentionally, or if it's, you know, if he'll if he'll go so far as to potentially kill her, um, then that will be that will be a test. And also she just can't like live with with that uncertainty anymore.
1: It's like not worth living. Right, it's that constant frustration with this idea that her husband might just be faking it and and kind of using this to for whatever to you know to whatever avail you know for whatever reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. Uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Kram. But that's that's why it's such an interesting story because you have that as this potential place where Leonard is coming from. And which is dark and it's horrifying, but yeah, it's a person with this memory loss, this short term memory loss. And when potentially, if he's working with Teddy, who I, I don't know, my assumption is that he actually was a cop, but when he's working with them and they kill a person and then Leonard wakes up, you know, minutes or moments later and is just like ready to go kill somebody because he doesn't remember it. I, and that's just, it's an interesting way. To kind of keep playing that because even with that photo, I mean, he hadn't written any notes on it, and perhaps that's to his detriment, but the photo of him, you know, is kind of a bloody picture and he looks all happy and he's like, you know, got the spot on his chest where he's gonna get the tattoo, never did. And now he's just like still feels like he has to go out and find the person who killed his wife. And that's when it seems like Teddy starts using him to kind of take out take out some other people. Yeah, yeah, which is such a, a diabolical mechanic. <laughs> it is, very much so. And uh, and that's, I mean, that was my sense of the way that the rest of the story plays out, is it seemed like he had something with Jimmy, because or, and I was like, well, maybe he was just trying to get the, I don't know, 200,000 or whatever that Jimmy had mm-hmm. brought, because that seems like why he's always in the car, he's trying to kind of get that money out of it. And then that gets him involved with Natalie, who then figures out about, oh, they all seem to know him though. I mean, everybody knows, oh, he's the memory loss guy. Like they know mm-hmm. who he is. So he's already in that world. And then so Teddy uses him to take out Jimmy. Uh, Natalie's upset about that, uses him to deal with Dodd. And, and then he kind of sets this whole thing up where he can take out Teddy also. So.
0: I, it's one of those that's so tricky because I think you don't know what you need to pay attention to. Um, you know, I think back specifically to the hotel uh, clerk, the yeah. manager up front, like knowing when it's important to pay attention to why he is taking Lenny to different rooms, to the wrong room, I, I think is a funny play. And I don't think that is one of those clues that necessarily matters to the overall arc of the story. Um, we know he's involved somehow uh, as a. Like a a front for the drug dealing, but doesn't necessarily matter to the overall
1: looping that's going on and how Lenny's being used. It's just another example of somebody manipulating him to to get something out of him, which I think is great. I love Mark Boone Junior. Anyway, so it's so fun seeing him in this little role and when he's kind of like has that little chuckle. Oh yeah, I was just I figured you know business is slow. What can I say? Yeah, talk about a face. Like Mark Boone Junior. Is I mean he's in
0: everything he's always the smarmy detective or the smarmy hotel operator or the he's smarmy pretty much everywhere
1: (laughs) yes that uh that kind of fits his style he's just got a great look especially when he's bearded it just very much works so yeah i I think the uh real joy is steven tobolowski he's always a joy i just love tobolowski and and this I feel like he may get more screen time in this than so many other things because he's always used as as a really memorable bit mm-hmm. player with just like a scene or two, you know, like Groundhog Day or yep. Basic Instinct or things like that. This is an opportunity for him to have a larger supporting role. And, and it's an interesting one. And I really like it. And especially that scene. And I think uh, Harriet Sansom... Harris deserves as much recognition as Tobolowski does mm-hmm. in the scene where he's giving her the, the all the injections like the way that she keeps asking him just breaks my heart when you, oh, when no. you see her see her going through that like there is a character drama built in here that I would watch at feature length
0: do you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. that that backstory is really interesting and i would love to see those two people uh Harris and Tobolowski in those roles like that that's a movie that should have been made Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. We did mention Georgia Fox. And I just have to say, 21 years this year, she is the same. She's got the same character, Sarah Seidel, in CSI. 15
1: years, season after season, on the air. That's where I've seen her from. She's one of those faces. I'm like, I know I've seen you somewhere. There was a brief period. You know, I'm not a big TV watcher, but there was this window of time where my wife and I were watching CSI quite a bit. And uh, I don't know, a season or two is probably what mm-hmm. I made it through, and yes, absolutely 100 percent now I can totally place her. It won't surprise you to know that I watched the whole thing. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a big fan. I did not I, I was not as rigorous a viewer of ER, but she did uh, three or four years on ER uh, before this, and then then came memento, and then came uh, her first uh, her entree to CSI um, which she's great she was great in csi csi started
1: after this i always thought it started in the 90s i don't know why maybe it's just because it's been around 2015
0: yeah that was the 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 original scene and then they did a couple of movies um i think one was uh was released i think as a two-parter then there was a tv movie csi mortality uh in 2015 and that sort of ended things but she is back in CSI Vegas, the limited series that has been announced for this year, later this year. Uh, I think they're doing eight or ten episodes,
1: which should be a lot of fun. I, for one, am looking forward to it. Wow, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, she's great. It's not a big role, but uh, she she makes a lot of her small uh, parts, that, little scenes that she has. I, I like seeing her in, the, in here. Right, 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 right. Now, here's a question for you. Could you imagine watching this with Brad Pitt playing leonard because that was the initial uh casting
0: well yeah but you know i have seven in my memory like that's kind of the this that's the sort of brad pitt look and character that i kind of imagine in this role so it's pretty easy for me to it's 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 a fungible resource (laughs) you know i can imagine that
1: he could he yeah he could very easily pull off this sort of role. Yeah. Uh he had, he dropped out uh, because of scheduling conflicts, I guess. And then they were considering Aaron Eckhart and Thomas Jane, but Nolan really liked Guy Pierce, and also because Pierce had a lack of celebrity. And after Pitt uh, was uh, was gone from the project, they decided to to. Drop the A-list stars and make the film for less money by using somebody who is quality but also more affordable. And Pierce was very enthusiastic for it, and so I think that uh, yeah, I think that makes sense that he uh, that he did that instead.
0: Well, because just I'm I'm checking my timelines here, right? Because he had already
1: like he was just coming off of Fight Club when this was. No, no, no. Fight Club was like five years before he would have been doing Snatch. Oh no no! Fight Club was right before he would have Fight been doing. Fight Club was ninety
0: nine. Snatch was, right yeah. was two thousand. Okay.
1: Yeah, I was thinking um, of uh, seven. Yeah, reason, but yeah, he uh, but uh, Snatch he would have been. Let's see, because they filmed because he
0: already. You're right. He already had like his nineties were stellar with Interview with the Vampire and Legends of the Fall oh, yeah. and Seven and Twelve Monkeys. Like that. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Let's not forget the Devil's Own, Pete. <laughs> Well, I was going to say Sleepers, but I know you did forget Sleepers. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. There there were a number of uh a number of films that he was in in the late 90s that weren't quite so big like Seven Years in Tibet, Mito Black. Um, but Fight Club certainly, then Snatch, um
0: Sleepers has a 7.6 on the IMDb scale. How is that even possible? Sleepers isn't bad.
1: It's not bad. Uh, you it's, know what it was? It's I, it's a I hated tough
0: film. the book. I hated the book so much that it makes me I'm I'm rating the book when I
1: write. I could uh, yeah
0: No. Yeah. Oh well, what are you going to do?
1: Go scream at a bookstore. Don't
0: there you go. don't have to be snotty. You don't have to. You don't have to take your rage out on me. You're projecting right now. That's a projection.
1: Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> That's what you're doing. <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: uh Brett, Yeah, Brett. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss. You want to talk a little bit more about her?
1: Uh, well, I I just thought that um, you know, they. I think Mary McCormick was trying to get the part but um because um uh because of her role as Trinity I think you know the producers were really impressed with her and brought a lot to the part so I am thrilled that uh that they came on uh, uh, that she she was interested too same thing with uh with uh Panigliano. Dennis Leary was uh, mentioned, but not available. It's just like, what a weird cast that would have been. Like, Brad Pitt, Mary McCormick, and Dennis Leary. Like, (laughs) that's such a strange new version of this.
0: But you know what? Like, now after something like... It's just so great to see her continued body of work mary mccormick i think she's fantastic but i i would i could see all of that those people in this movie like i think i yeah uh, i could i absolutely could like it's it's sort of an accident there are a lot of of great names that have been tossed around for this one i think they landed on a great trio but i could totally see anyone yeah. else uh, that is on that list
1: in here yeah i definitely could yeah yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a strong cast. And I, I think that especially on a limited budget that they were working with here, I think a, a, on a limited schedule, I mean, it, it, they shot it in just 25 days. It was it was very quick. And they, you know, obviously, Nolan was you know proving that he knew how to kind of get in and out when he was doing a project like this. And I think mm-hmm. uh, it worked exceptionally well. And uh with a great team. I mean great actors and great crew. And I think this Wally is Wally Pfister. Yeah, I was gonna say, is this where uh where he kicks things off with Fister? I believe so because this
0: was like before this was the following, right? And he shot that himself, Nolan.
1: The yeah, and I think he's worked with uh Pfister not on everything else, but because uh, Fister stopped after Dark Knight rises and that's when he switched over to
0: Hoita. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but I love what Fister was doing.
0: What is going on with Wally Fister? Why hasn't he done anything of substance since Dark Knight Rises?
1: Well, I don't know. I know he directed some TV stuff. And, uh, you know, he did Transcendence, which everyone tries to forget, happened. I don't know if he largely stepped out of, I mean, maybe he's moved more into just doing commercials and things like that now. You know, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's too it's too bad because I really enjoy his uh, I really enjoy his work and and it's it, he's blessedly he's an easy cinematographer to to catch up on because his 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 big films are the big films.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's frustrating. He certainly had a great career uh, filming stuff, and I don't know why he he shifted into whatever it is he's doing now. Yeah, well, miss him in the biz.
0: Dodie Dorn, uh, was uh, served as editor on this one. And I just want to say, you know, it's, this is an editing job right here. This is a, an editing. It's, it's it's a fun editing job. I think it's cool that Dodie and Wally went on to do another great looking film, Insomnia, uh, together in 2002,
1: which I I think we have a high opinion of. Uh, not so much. uh... You know, what's interesting about Insomnia, <laughs> about the, the disc of Insomnia, is that I, I feel like Nolan was at this point when he was releasing these movies where he was trying to find ways to entice people to to think about them in different ways, like the fact that you could watch Memento chronologically on yeah. the DVD. Oh, God. In, what did they do on the in, disc? In, in Insomnia, they released it where you could actually watch... <laughs> it's a Pacino-only watch... <laughs> cut. It's, it's It cuts out everything but Pacino. <laughs> you no, you could actually watch it in shooting order. And and so you watch the what? entire film. It doesn't make any sense because you're watching the film in out of order. But what uh what I read somebody say is it was actually really interesting to to watch. And you can actually see Al Pacino figuring out the character like as as it starts, you know, he doesn't seem as connected. But by the time you get to the end, he feels like he's more the character. That's I was like, funny. well, that's kind of an interesting way to kind of go about it. I don't know why anyone would want to actively watch the movie that way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. oh, clearly sociopaths.
0: It's the Robin Williams uh, collector that wants to watch that. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> okay. Hey. Uh, all right. You want to talk about music? Yeah, we. Yeah, I mean, you know, the music I think works in context of the film. I, I you know, it's not a score that I go back to um, to listen it's, to. you oh, should say? It's David Julian david julian right Mm -hmm. Uh, but i still who also did the aforementioned insomnia
0: and you can actually watch uh one cut on the dvd of insomnia
1: it's it's like it's score only it's just a black
0: (laughs) it's just score.
1: anyway go ahead (laughs) but it's you know i i think that he's a fine composer he started with nolan with with following and ended with insomnia, so it was a, a short-lived time together. But you know, he ended up moving on to doing other things, like you know, Cabin in the Woods, and which was great. Descent, that was fun. and the oh, well, he did the Prestige. I, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, he one. did do the Prestige. So, but I think then that's after after which uh, Nolan switches to Hans Zimmer and kind of mm-hmm. that whole world. But uh, you know, I think the music is fine here. It works in context of the film. It's like when your best
0: friend in the eighth grade goes to high school (laughs) and starts hanging out with a different group of people, and you're like, "Wait a minute, what are we doing here? We were best friends three months ago, and now we're back." And you, your ears pierced? That's what happened. Christopher Nolan got his ear pierced and dyed his hair, and left people like David Julian and 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 Wally Mm -hmm. to hang out with each other. Yeah, rough. Takes me back. Okay have come off the rails
1: how to do an award season it did uh really well for itself it, it was a surprise kind of hit and it ended up getting a lot of uh a lot of notice it had 57 wins with 59 other nominations at the oscars there was a little bit of controversy about it as far as the writing award because they were really this is nolan and his brother uh, jonathan nolan Because the way that the film is set up, it says, you know, written by Christopher Nolan, based on the story Memento Mori by Jonathan Nolan. And so, initially, it was only eligible for the adapted screenplay, but then they, you know, had this thing, and my recollection is that they kind of, you know, pushed back on the Academy for this because they wanted the original screenplay uh, nomination instead, saying that, you know, the book was or that short story was actually based on this that they had come up with and that memento mori they came up with the story together so just the actual story Christopher wrote the movie and then Jonathan wrote the short story is kind of the way they pitched it and that's that's their fault
0: <laughs> that's it is their fault yeah. they pitched it wrong as Nolan tells it, he he Jonathan told him the story in a road trip from Chicago to Los Angeles. He said, Here's a story I'm I'm working
1: on. And they started workshopping it into a movie. The story was published after. And and so I my hunch was that he was putting his brother's name in the credits that way so that it would increase more visibility for him. Like, I'm not exactly sure, but the problem is for your brother. It was the problem was it put them into, I mean, no matter what, they had tough categories, but I thought they had a better chance if they or they thought they, I think had a better chance at being original. However, they lost to Gosford park, a beautiful mind ended up winning adapted screenplay. I don't know, you know, would it have beaten a beautiful mind? I'd like to think so. I don't think that's my favorite of stories. Um but Gosford Park, I mean Julian fellows it's it's a pretty strong script. I do like that. I would I think I would put it was also Memento, Monster's Ball, The Royal Tenenbaums and Amelie. So it was a strong year of mm-hmm. original screenplays. So I I don't know. I I'm a little torn as to how that went down, but um but that's how it did go down. And then Dodie Dorn was nominated for best editing but lost to Black Hawk Down. At the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror, it won the Saturn Award for Best Action Adventure Thriller, and uh, Best Actor Guy Pearce was nominated but lost to Tom Cruise in Vanilla Sky. At the Film Independent Spirit Awards, it won Best Feature, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Supporting Female for carrie Ann Moss, but lost Best Cinematography to Peter Deming for Mulholland Drive. And at the Golden Schmoes, it won for the Most Underrated Movie of the Year, the Trippiest Movie of the Year. Guy Pearce won Best <laughs> Actor. Also, breakthrough performance. It won best line in the. Okay, so what am I doing? Oh, I'm chasing this guy. <laughs> no, he's chasing me. <laughs> One for that, which is great. And it also won best script. It lost favorite movie to Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. It also, uh, Joe Pannelliano lost best supporting actor to Ian McKellen, also for Lord of the Rings. Carrie Ann Moss lost the best supporting actress to Jennifer Connolly in Beautiful Mind. Favorite movie poster lost to Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. And the coolest character. For Leonard Shelby, lost to Jay and Silent Bob for Jay and Silent Bob, strike back. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. That's a tough one.
0: Okay. Well, I have all kinds of issues with that, but (laughs) we'll go ahead and move on.
1: How to do it at the box office. For Nolan's breakout hit, he had a strong $9 million to work with. That is $13 million in today's dollars. The movie premiered at the Venice International Film Festival September 2000, then had its domestic release March 16, 2001, opening in a limited release opposite Exit Wounds, Enemy at the Gates, American Desi, and The Dish. It definitely was a word-of-mouth film, slowly gaining in popularity over the weeks until it finally cracked the top ten in its ninth week of release. It stayed there for three more weeks and stayed in theaters for a total of 41 weeks, a really strong release. This film went on to earn twenty five point five million domestically and fourteen point five million internationally, for a total gross of fifty eight million in today's dollars. Strong movie for Nolan, landing him with an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost four hundred thousand dollars. Well that's something. Yeah. Not too bad. He Not too did
0: okay. Bad. It's a nice uh, kickoff to the career. I uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoy my time with this movie, and um, I'm glad to get it on the list. I I feel like um, Nolan's films, whatever you think of them, I think they're they're fun to talk about. Uh, so uh, this has uh, been a good series. What, uh, closing thoughts.
1: I, it's it's just a fantastic film. I hadn't revisited it in ages really glad to uh, to look at it again and now i feel like it's a little violent but at the same time i'm like i feel like i could almost introduce my daughter to this now like it's oh just, yeah it's such a strong film with a, such a creative story oh totally uh, let's let's take the mat see
0: what's happening Do it. all right head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel you'll see all the films we've talked about on this very show if you swipe over in your show notes and tap the word flickchart. It should take you to this film in the flickchart database, where you can add it to your list and see how it stacks up against ours.
1: First up, Memento or Wall Street? Memento. Memento. Memento or Fargo? I'm gonna give it to Memento. The problem here, clearly, is that Fargo is too low on our list. I gotta. Yeah, I and mean, what are we gonna do about that? Nothing right now. That's not our job right now. It's not our job right now. I have to say Fargo though. All right, the tough. It's a tough one because I, I I don't want Memento to drop, uh, but I would say Farco.
0: All right, let's let's do it.
1: Here we go. One, <gasps> one two, two, three. three. Scissors. Ugh, for crying out loud! You should <laughs> feel so guilty about this. I do. Memento or Friday? Memento. Absolutely, Memento. Memento or the verdict? Uh, Memento. Say Memento. Memento or Ronin. That's uh, this should Ronin. be a tough one for you. <laughs> it is. It's not, actually. It's Ronin for me. Of course. It's Memento for me here. Okay. All right, here we go. One. One. Two. two three. three. Paper paper. Scissors. Paper. <laughs> memento take it. <laughs> memento, I just want to point out, had it beaten Fargo. It would already have beaten Ronan. So, there you go. Yeah, but it thought. didn't.
0: It didn't. So, what are you going to do? Click <laughs> charge. Don't play one. me. Don't <laughs> right. play me, Andy. <laughs>
1: well, this is another tough one for you. Memento or Hudson Hawk?
0: <laughs> this is harder than the Ronin one, because I know what it represents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: well, it's definitely a Memento for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Okay. It's going to, it's memento. Oh, wow. Okay. Memento or Europa, Europa? Memento. Memento. Memento or Rocky Balboa? Uh,
0: Memento. Memento.
1: Memento or platoon. I feel like you're quizzing me right now. I feel like that's where we are. It's memento. (laughs) Memento. That lands memento in spot 130 on our chart, one spot below Fargo. Uh, it is 130 <laughs> out of uh, 515 films that puts it sadly at a 75 percent wow that's crazy that means fargo is at a 75 percent which is just a- that's also insanity
0: wrong. i it's, feel like we yeah. should do a bonus re-raking starting now and just get fargo <laughs> out of the way <laughs> Absolutely. um i uh, it's it's higher on my list and it ran into some tough competition how to do on yours
1: yeah uh it very well it's in spot one fifty eight on my chart out of forty six fifty one that's a ninety seven percent wow that's fantastic now i
0: it actually ran into some some things that were hard to to justify for me. It ended up at uh two eighteen out of fifteen ten which is an eighty six percent if i go by the algorithm at letterbox dot com slash the next reel this should be a four and a half star film and it has been for years. A four and a half star film on my list. And it uh, definitely has a heart.
1: The question is, does it stay at four and a half stars? That's the big question. I don't know how that's a question. It's been a five star film for me ever since I saw it. Yeah,
0: I knew that it would be. I knew, I knew that it would be. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember, what was the quibble? What was the quibble that I have of this film? Because we just talked about it for an hour,
1: and I can't. I Based can't find on the it. conversation, I wouldn't think that <laughs> yeah. any stars had fallen for you.
0: Yeah, I, it actually kind of surprised me this morning when I hit four and a, when I saw it again at four and a half stars. I I think it's uh, I think it's probably a five star film. I'm going to go ahead and and uh, move that up. Let's go ahead and do that. Let's five do star it. and a heart.
1: There you go. All
0: right, all right. This was there this was good. Go. This is like a. An intervention, I think, more than a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so.
1: <laughs> Apparently so. Well, it was a good one. It was a great way to yeah. kick off our, our uh, you know, spoilery twist uh, ending film series. Albeit a hey. brief one, but it was a good one to kick things off.
0: Oh, I love it! I'm I'm having a great time just thinking about movies that I would like to talk about in further iterations of this uh, series. What anything you would like me to think about as I go into
1: watching your pick again this week? If I had watched it more recently, yes, uh, but I haven't seen it in ages, and I just remember really enjoying it. But now that I know everything, I am really curious, uh, like you, like, how well is this thing going to hold up? So we are, of course, talking about James Mangold's 2003 film, Identity. There was a storm.
0: It was an accident. We had an accident.
1: And we got stuck, and we couldn't get out. We couldn't get out because of the storm. It's flooded. It's dead end.
0: You the manager? Officer Rose. Transporting a prisoner here.
1: But the roads are all flooded and I could use a room. I don't think we can get out tonight. I'm not staying here. Are you out of your mind? There's no place else to go. What happened to the motel? People started dying. What's going on? Go in your room and lock your door. Oh. Hey. And then their bodies, they disappeared. There's nobody in there. That's
0: not possible. I saw what happened. We all saw what happened.
1: This doesn't make any sense. Maybe there's some connection between all of us. Like what? It's my birthday next week. Me too. Me too.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, a way to wrap up our little pair of twisty films. Um, thank you all uh, to all of our members for your support. Uh, we've <laughs> Andy. I don't know if you know this. We have another bonus episode coming up. Woo! We are talking about Naked Lunch, adding another member bonus to our David Cronenberg series. I can't wait to watch this film again, especially after the fun we had with our David Cronenberg series uh, this last, was it a year ago? Has it been a year since we did David Cronenberg? Wow. Wow, boy. Has it? Time it probably. Time flies. uh we have done a lot of member bonus episodes we've done gone girl and the russia house and equilibrium and ivanhoe and tenant and hot rock and thelman louise and dolomite is my name the big heat uh so many member bonus episodes if you want to hear them uh just make sure you join up at the two reeler level and support this show and all of the shows that uh, are under the family of the next
1: reel. And if you sign up at the One reeler level, you can still vote in our Saturday matinee polls. Every week, we choose a list topic that we have on the Saturday matinee that is based on the movie that we're talking about right now. So uh, that's a fun way to get your vote in for that. And that's just a buck a month.
0: Much fun. And uh, just another community service reminder. Uh, For those who have been subscribed to the show for a long time, we do release a lot of content in the Next Reel Master Feed. Don't forget, we have separated all of the show feeds out into individual show feeds. So if you just want to subscribe to the Next Reel, you can do that. Or the film board, you can do that, too. Just want to hear the Saturday matinee, you can subscribe just to that, too. Uh, Just search up the Next Reel anywhere you get your podcasts, and you should see all of the shows. And you can pick and choose. It's a bouquet of Next Reel shows. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. Letterbox giveth Andrew as letterbox always doeth. Okay, so there are people who don't like this movie. Did you know that? <laughs> I did. I there mean, there's a, a lot, a lot foul language at the bottom of the barrel so much they just have a lot of rage
1: it's like they know this they're at the movie. bottom of the barrel
0: they do they and say, hey, they're trying I'm to here i'm yeah. i'm gonna write a bottom of the barrel review i i have one that's a little bit longer do you mind if i go first and we can Ooh. yours can be the punchline let's do it okay uh this is from Teto rapper it's a one star gonna cut to the chase with this one i thought it was atrocious Whilst being overcomplicated was absolutely something I expected coming into this film, what seriously let me down was this early Nolan hit, is the characterization. I didn't give two hoots about Guy Pearce's Leonard. In fact, I would go as far as to say I found his performance downright irritating. While yes, I understand there is certainly complexity to a character that has a shoddy short-term memory, but I want you to imagine if Memento was a nice toast, and that the whole memories concept was butter. Throughout the film, Nolan spread this butter so hard on the poor toast that, in my opinion, it created a bunch of holes in the bread and ultimately damaged my overall enjoyment of the film. Granted, no film is for everyone, and maybe I'm just a dummy, but I would choose Inception's carefully crafted narrative or even Tenet's slightly overblown spectacle over this pretentious slob of cinematic vomit any day of the week. That is the best way of explaining why I felt the main premise of this film just came across as novel, amateurish, and flat-out uninteresting. Toward the end, it even started to become unbearable.
1: Wow. Wow. The
0: toast metaphor. Toast with the holes, the mm. heart spreading. That's got, I mean, I, we're going to have to bring that back. I'm going to have to use that again.
1: Yeah. Breaking the bread. Ripper.
0: Breaking the bread. Yeah, you're
1: overspreading. Yeah. Over You're Uh, overspreading. (laughs) Overspreading, apparently so. What do you you got? I've got a half star by Matt McDonald who had this to say. Thought this was about a bento box full of memes. Very different film in reality. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to
0: try and work bento box into my conversation today, too. All right, I'll do Uh, it. uh, Meme bento. It's meme bento. Well, that's a bento meme. Okay, I get it. It kind of rolls off the tongue.
1: Yeah, we'll see. And if that's not good enough for you, here's what Guy Pierce had to say about the Letterboxd review celebrating the film's 20th anniversary. The best review of Memento on Letterboxd
0: basically said, this is what Finding Dory should have been. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006.
1: Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better.
0: After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us.
1: If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world,